You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast. Everything you need to know about student loan repayment plans, the options you have, loopholes you should know, and how to pay them back on any income with Travis Hornsby. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers, back with another episode that I hope will be helpful to you on your journey to launch to financial freedom and independence. On the podcast today, we have Travis Hornsby. He's the founder of Student Loan Planner and the host of the Student Loan Planner podcast. To date, he's consulted on over $500 million in student debt personally, more than anyone else in the country, he says. He is also a chartered financial analyst and brings his background as a former bond trader trading billions of dollars. You'll hear Travis is an expert on student loans. This is what he does for a living. He helps people really plan out the best way to tackle their student loans. And you're going to get a wealth of information from this. Now, when we recorded this episode, it was a couple weeks ago. And so now we are in real time. I'm actually recording this intro, you know, still some couple weeks out before you hear this episode. So things may have changed, but I will tell you this, we planned and we made this episode timeless. So no matter what happens when it comes to repaying your student loans, if you get an extension, again, if you are one of the people that were able to benefit from the student loan payment plan pause for federal loans. If it continues, you'll have some tips to move forward. If they do not decide to continue the pause and you will have to pay your loan back soon, you'll get some tips for that too. We'll also talk about how to pay your student loans back, how to think about them depending on your income level and your repayment plan options. I'm telling you, you do not want to miss this episode. If you know someone who has student loan debt, federal student loan debt, you have to let them hear this. Share this with them. Send it to them. Take that screenshot. Copy that link and make sure you're getting this information to who needs to hear it. Now, a word from today's sponsor, DCU. You deserve to have some fun and spend money on the things you enjoy while remaining on track as you work to get out of debt or save for your future purchases. But let's be real, you don't always know what you want to spend on in advance. Sometimes a cool opportunity comes up at the last minute. Maybe your friend is unexpectedly in town or you see something that you really want to buy. Create a line item in your budget or a spending plan for these unexpected fun money purchases. Look into opening a savings account to help you keep focused on that goal. For example, DCU, Digital Federal Credit Union, has a primary savings account that offers their members an annual percentage yield on eligible balances that's higher than many savings accounts. So your fund money gets to earn you money while it sits in your account. To learn more, check out dcu.org. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Hey, journeyers. Okay, so I am bringing you a very important, they're all important in my conversations, by the way, but this is very timely and important conversation about student loans. And I have none other than Travis Hornsby of the Student Loan Planner Company here to help us understand what is going on with our student loans. I luckily, thank God, don't have any more student loans, but I know a lot of my journeyers and listeners do. Some of them are six figures worth of student loans, and some of them are crippling them in terms of moving forward with investing and reaching their goals. So we have Travis here to help us break it all down on how to succeed with our student loans. So hi, Travis. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jamila. First of all, just 
explain why I believe like you're one of like the top experts in student loan, just information and planning and helping. Can you just give a little background about what you do in your company? For sure. So the company has advised close to 1.5 billion of student loan debt for five or 6,000 borrowers now. So we like to think that we are like the top experts for student loans when it's in some cases more than what people have on a house. So we tend to help people with like really large debts, but we can really help people with any level of debt. And as we know, you know, student loans have been paused for 16 months now. And at at a minimum, it's going to be paused for 18 months. But we're starting to see signs that that bill is about to start coming due again. And, you know, it's been wonderful, this pause, like it's been so great for borrowers. But there's going to be like seismic changes happening in the student loan system where people need to know what's coming down the pipeline so that you can be ready and not have those student loans throw you off all the financial gains you've made towards your goals this year. Yeah, there's going to be like a, a big reckoning to come of when the payments become due. So let's just walk back a little bit to get like a history. And when we're talking about student loans in this context, it's federal student loans, right? So can you walk us back to how we got to where we are today and when the uh, student loan pause is supposed to end and what's going on with that? Yeah. So like how how we got here today. So I mean, like go way back, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, if, if, we, if we can go way, way back, right? So Sputnik happened, right? The Soviets were kicking her butt in the space race. And so Congress was like, we should make student loans to help people to go to college. And so over time, like student loans have become a bigger and bigger thing. And you know, basically in the 2000s, they came up with income-based repayment and they came up with loan forgiveness programs where, you know, you didn't necessarily have to pay everything you borrowed back, depending on what kind of job you're in, depending on how much you owe relative to your to your income, et cetera. And in President Obama's administration, these programs got even more generous. And during that time frame, there was also new companies that came out that allowed you to refinance your student loans to lower interest rates if you're trying to pay it back. So what we had happen was there's these two different paths that you can go down. You can pay it back, which is what you're going to hear on most of the popular personal finance shows is like that advice on paying it back. And you can also get it forgiven, which is a whole nother path that people really don't understand very well. Because all that advice about paying your loans back is kind of like the most popular advice that's been around for forever. And like I mentioned, you know, a lot of these best forgiveness programs only came about in the last 10 or 15 years. So a lot of the older folks out there that went to college in like the 80s or the 90s, they're given advice with a framework that, you know, on, on programs that didn't exist back when they went to college. So a lot of times they're completely unaware of what options people have. So that's how we kind of got up to this point. And then what happened with the COVID-19 pandemic is people lost their jobs en masse, right? People like were impacted economically, health-wise, you know, finances, it was it was a really hard time. And so the government said, okay, let's go ahead and pause people's interest and their payments on qualifying federal student loans. Now that that didn't go to private loans, unfortunately. You know, the private loan companies gave people in some cases like three months of paused payments, but that's pretty much it. So for federal student loan borrowers, this has been the most unexpected, exciting, happy time like ever, because there was zero interest and zero payments. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. So if you're making payments, it was all going to principal. If you're not making payments and you're going for forgiveness, all those $0 payments were counting towards forgiveness. So it's been a wonderful past 16 months. Now, the problem is all good things have to come to an end, right? That's kind of like a cliche, but it's like kind of a sometimes a true thing. And so what's going on right now as we record this, we're expecting at any hour for them to come up with an announcement about when people will have to start paying again. So for sure, there's going to be one final extension if there is an extension past September 30th. So we know one of two things is going to happen. It's either going to end September 30th or it's going to end sometime between September 30th and March 31st. So we're still waiting on that announcement, but we can talk about like either scenario. Yeah. So one of the things I want to do, so I know that this is a very, and I'm hoping I can get this episode out to you guys listening in a couple of weeks. So because the information may change, but what I want to do is talk some timeless information about your student loans right now, what you can do what you can expect, and regardless of what happens, how you can move forward in the best way, and then talk about these possible scenarios um, that may occur. So I do want to just go back to what we can expect. So we don't know yet, and maybe by the time this comes out, we'll have an idea if it's ending or not. But if the pause payments are not extended at the end of September 30th, then when will the first student loan payments be due? Basically, if nothing changes, like if there's if there's no kind of like extra extension, 
the interest starts October 1st, but the payments are mostly due October 30th. So whenever one thing you should know, like as a borrower, is whenever that interest payment pause does end, basically 30 days after that is when your bills do. So you're gonna it's gonna be a really big thing. You're gonna get text messages, emails, you know, you're gonna get a lot of contacts. And so it won't come as a surprise. So, you know, I think that that's what most people need to realize, though, is the payments are basically 30 days after the end of that student loan forbearance. And your loan servicer is required to contact you. So maybe some people are just like, well, I missed this, but you won't because they have to. Con- it's like by law, they have to contact you and let you know your payments are due, right? Right. I mean, like it would be very unlikely that you would miss it. But I, I will say that if you're you know, completely not paying attention, there's a chance, right? Like if you got a new phone number and maybe you moved, I mean, that would be a scenario where you can miss it because maybe not everybody checks their email, right? So I think that the the thing is, is like whenever it does end, it will end and it will end sometime in early 2022. Why do I know that? It's because the, you know, Democrats are in charge of Congress, right? Both Democrats that run the Education Committee in the House and the Senate requested that maybe you'd get another extension, but that it would end in early 2022, right? So that's telling us that, you know, best case scenario, your student loans are going to start up again in early 2022. So we, so we know that. That's like the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is nothing happens and the thing ends in September. And you know, by the time this episode comes out, I expect that we'll know that. So what you could do is just Google, when do my student loan payments start? And you know, if you see that answer online, then you know kind of how to prepare for this next bit of advice that we're going to give. So for those who've had their payments paused what and they weren't maybe saving it and putting it aside, like it was literally to help them pay for living. In general, what should they do now to prepare for this payment plan if it does not extend? And well, the pause isn't, (laughs) if the pause expires, what should they do? How should they start to do this? Should they act as if they need to pay it and then put that money aside? What is your advice? Well, so I heard this press conference the other day and they were talking about the need to extend the pause one more time. And they were talking about how people have student loan payments that are as big as their rent or or their car payment or you know, something like that. And so I'll say with federal student loans, that should never, ever be the case unless you want it to be that way. So what I mean by that is, let's say you have $100,000 in student debt. So they're going to send you a piece of mail that says your payments are 1000 a month. Well, nobody says that you have to pay 1000 a month. So if your payments are really high and, you know, high enough to be stressful, then you need to know about income-based repayment. So you can go to studentaid.gov slash IDR you know, stands for income driven repayment. So studentaid.gov slash IDR. So that's the first step is go there. There'll be an apply now button and apply for an income based plan. There's a lot of different plans. Most of the ones out there will give you 10% of your income, but they only take 10% of your income over like one and a half times the poverty line. So if you're making 20,000 a year or 30,000 a year, your payments very well could be zero or close to $0 a month. So that would be great. You know, so I want to tell people out there that just because this thing's coming to an end doesn't mean that your payments have to be super high. Right now, if they are high because that you want them to be high, that's fine. Like, because that's what you want to do to get out of debt fast. Right. But I just want people to know low income people out there don't stress about this because you have so many options to get a really low payment. And I want to explore that more because regardless of what happens, whether they have to start paying back the loans or not, this income-based repayment plan and all these forgiveness programs are available. So I do want to spend some time talking about that. And then we can go back into possible scenarios because I think that would be the best, timeless, most information we can give right now for people. So let's talk a little bit about these options. Sure. And and I want to talk, I'm going to kind of like go in, ter- in, in like level of income. So I'm going to start kind of like lower income first, and then we're going to like work our way up the scale. That way there's kind of you know, information for everybody. So let's say you were in default or delinquent on your student loans before the pandemic, or, or let's say you're, you're, you, know, you think you, you couldn't make the payments or something. Well, if you are worried about getting into default or delinquency, obviously sign up for the income-based plans. But let's say that you were in default or delinquency like on your student loans before the pandemic. Well, now everybody has had at least nine months of credit towards getting your loans out of default. So you basically have to do usually like this nine-month process to get your loans out of default if it's normal times, but the pandemic counted all those months towards that nine month clock, which means like anybody in default on their loans could get them out of default now just by signing up for an income-based plan. So no more garnished tax refunds, no more garnished wages, 
no more garnished social security if you're older, right? The government can really seize a lot of your income and your tax credits and refunds. And a lot of people are getting really large tax credits right now with the expansion of the child tax credit. So we don't want anybody getting anything garnished or seized, right? And so the simple solution to that is to, you know, you can type in like default resolution, Department of Education hotline. And so you can call that number and help ask them to help you sign up for an income-based plan when the payments become due so that you get yourself out of default and no longer hurt your credit. And actually, that should come off of your credit report if you do that, so that that default doesn't even need to hurt your credit score anymore, which is you know a really big deal for, for especially for lower income people that are trying to get access to, to lower cost credit. Right. So I, I love, I just want to highlight that. So, and just to re- like repeat it. So if you, before the pandemic, were in default or delinquent, and maybe you put your head down because you thought none of this applied to you and you were afraid or whatever it was that you should take action and call or um, you said Google default resolution, Department of Education, and essentially get on an income-based repayment plan because that is going to, they're going to look back and count the nine months or whatever time period towards you rehabilitating your credit for your student loan. Exactly. So that's like the low income side of side of the scale. Like, and, and I know that that's a big problem because, you know, during the pandemic, they made it so that they wouldn't seize your tax credits anymore for like defaulted student loans. And we had so many people come to come into our website for details on that. And then, you know, some people like if you filed your taxes on or before, you know, X date, people didn't get that credit refunded and other people that filed their taxes later got the credit refunded. So it was just a big mess. And so we just want people out there to know that that should never happen to you. You know, the government, if they're going to garnish you, they're going to garnish you at 15% of your wages. And if you go up and sign up for an income-based plan, it's a 10%. So it's kind of like it's cheaper to sign up for an income-based plan and not have it wreck your credit than to just let it wreck your credit and then they'll take even more money. Right, right. Okay, great. Love that tip. Okay, what's like that next level? All right, so the next rung up the ladder is do you go for income-based forgiveness plan? So this is kind of like, you don't necessarily have to make a low income for this to make sense. So what this is kind of saying is, okay, let's say that your debt is large relative to your income. And what's what's large relative to your income? I'm gonna say you know anything that's more than what you earn every year. So if you have more debt than what you earn every year, which is a whole lot of people, especially with graduate degrees, it's like basically most people, you wanna think about forgiveness plans. And when I say forgiveness plans, there's two kinds of big forgiveness plans you can get. So there's public service loan forgiveness, which applies to one quarter of all workers in America. So public service loan forgiveness is something you can get if you work at a nonprofit or government employer full time. So that's why it applies to one quarter of workers in America, because about 25% of Americans are employed at a qualifying nonprofit or government employer. So a lot of times people say, well, hey, what's my nonprofit or government employer? Well, you, you actually don't have to do a ton of work to figure that out. So let me give uh, the website for that. I'll also be having those list of websites on the show notes, everyone, so you can click to get them. For sure. So the, the way to find out if you're eligible for public service loan forgiveness is to go to studentaid.gov slash PSLF. PSLF. So studentaid.gov slash PSLF. So what you're going to get if you go there is you can find out if your employer qualifies. Basically, you just look at your pay stub. And your pay stub is going to have something on there called employer identification number. It's called EIN. And it's a really easy, sneaky way that you can like type in information online to see what kind of employer the government thinks your employer is. So you can go put that number in onto the website that I just gave. And you can find out automatically if somebody else has applied for public service loan forgiveness through your employer. So if your employer has more than 10 employees, it's almost certain that your employer is going to show up there if it is eligible. And when you find out that it is eligible, that's really the hardest part because they have to d- determine, you know, if you have a qualifying employer or not. So once you know you have a qualifying employer, now all you have to do is just print out the pre-filled form and just get your employer to sign it. And then you can take a picture with your mobile phone and you can upload that onto the government website. So that's really great because then that's just an easy way to get certified and you have to just pay 10 years worth of income-based payments at it while working full-time at one of these employers that qualify. And so we tell people that, you know, could qualify for this, just make sure you do that process once a year. The same time you certify your your income-based payments with your tax returns. So that's the one type of forgiveness, the public service loan forgiveness. That's the most generous kind. 
And when it is forgiven at the end of the 10 years, you don't pay taxes on that forgiveness amount. Right. So that's great. And it's not like it's it's not a negative credit event. It's not going to hurt your credit. It's not going to interfere with you buying a house. It's really a wonderful forgiveness program that everybody really needs to know about, even if you don't qualify for it, because you can tell your friends about it. Yeah. And I have a couple of questions around that. So if you switch from a government employee to a nonprofit, can you still count those 10 years in like cumulative order? Yeah, it's it's a cumulative plan, not a consecutive plan. So that means if you fall off the wagon, maybe you take some, you know, some period away from the workforce or something, you just pick up where you left off. So there's no, you know, kind of stress about that. Same with switching employers. You can just cumulatively build up those 10 years of payments across different kinds of employers. You know what? I'm glad that I asked that because then the next question, what people will sometimes say is that I'm working for a government agency and I, you know, make a good amount of money, but the real benefit is I can be on this repayment plan and they're like, but I can earn more money in the private sector or going somewhere else, or I'm not happy and I want to switch. So if they do switch and they go follow their dreams and they realize it's not for them or they decide to go back, they can then start back up where they left as long as they were up to date on certifications every year that they did the plan. Yes. So that's a great segue. So the second kind of loan forgiveness is the kind that's over 20 or 25 years. So that kind of loan forgiveness is the same payment plans. You're you're enrolled in the same income-based program. It's just the difference of how long it takes to be forgiven. So that public service loan forgiveness has got more strict regular, you know, restrictions on what kind of employer you have to work for and you have to work full time. Whereas the 20 and 25-year programs, you can do absolutely anything, including not work at all and still qualify. It, you can work at a private employer, nonprofit employer, you can work part-time, you can work full-time or not at all. And all you got to do is make sure that those income-based payments continue. Now, who's a good candidate for that? It's people that have more debt than what they earn every year. So if you have more debt than what you earn every year, you're probably better off going for one of those 20 or 25-year programs. And you can do all kinds of things to get your payments low. You can, If you're married, you can do some tricks to get your payments a lot lower than they would be if you didn't you know, know that you could do these tricks. So there's all kinds of ways to get the payments low. Now, the, the difference with the 20 and 25-year programs is that when the loans are forgiven, it's considered taxable income. What we expect, though, is that that's going to change and then the taxes are not going to end up being owed because of, you know, some complicated stuff that I could go into if, if you wanted to. But just most people need to know that probably there's not going to be income taxes on the forgiveness either way. And so that means that if people are owing more in student loan debt than what they earn every year, then you're going to want to go for one of these forgiveness programs. If you're working in a government or nonprofit, it's PSLF. If you're not working in one of those places, then it's the 20 or 25 year program. And one thing that you said was, well, what if I want to change jobs? Cause like my heart's not in this or something. That's a great, like a great comment because the answer is you should always switch to whatever job you want to do not what you think you need to do. So what we find in doing a lot of our plans is that the loan forgiveness benefit is nice, but it's not the reason that you would work for a nonprofit or government employer. There needs to be another reason, like you love the work, you love the people, you love the role you're in, right? You can almost always find a job that's a better paying job, even adjusted for missing out on that loan forgiveness benefit. So you never want to make the the choice based off of your loans. You want to make that choice based off of your calling. I love that. Listen, I think that will help a lot of people. So many people just want like guidance. And I've had so many people ask this question, should I just stay in this job for that? And I love, don't say that again. That was like a bar right there, Travis. Don't stay in a job just because of loan forgiveness because it's never worth it. So let me give you an example, just because I think people like to hear examples with this stuff. So we had a dentist who had like 500,000 of loans. He was driving one hour each way to work to go work at a lower income clinic so that he could get 25000 a year of loan forgiveness. And so he'd get that for four years. And he was thinking, okay, I got to do four years of work at this clinic because you know I'm going to get loan forgiveness this way like and help get me out of debt faster. And the, the worst part was his wife was driving like an hour in the other direction because she couldn't find a, like a loan forgiveness qualifying place in her area or their area. So she was having to drive like an hour north. He was driving an hour south. And it was just a big mess for their family. And so what I explained to them was, wait a second, you owe in student loans a lot more than what your earnings are going to be. And so you would be better off paying the minimum going for one of these forgiveness programs over 20 years. And then the remainder is going to be forgiven. 
So his 25K a year like forgiveness was basically just reducing the size of loans that were going to be forgiven, which is basically meaning that he's getting a benefit that's really not worth anything at all. That's pretty crazy, right? It is. And, you know, again, it's for the individual because that same dentist could have loved, you know, working in that clinic and that was, it was worth it. But for him and his individual needs in life, that wasn't worth it. And so everyone has to make this choice for themselves that no, Travis or I can't like tell you like if the job is worth it. Like you really have to sit down and think, am I doing something that I really want to do? Not just based on the money or the forgiveness program. So I love that you brought that as an example. Yeah. And and like for, for this dentist too, like you can serve lower income patients like in your own practice too. So it wasn't necessarily that he, you know, had one like type of patient that he liked to work with. It was more just like that was the kind of employer that had the right tax ID code that qualified for him for this type of unique forgiveness program. And so it was just one of those things where like he was making a decision for his loans and that's never the way you want to do it. You want to be making that decision based off of your life. It, we can always back it up with the math, but I, I can just tell people like after doing thousands of plans, like I've done about 2,500 myself, uh, you know, it just always works out where you can make that decision based off of like what you want to do and then the numbers can justify it. Right. Okay. So I'm glad that we talked about the like two different types of forgiveness, whether you work in a nonprofit or for the government agency versus like a private sector or for yourself, um, there is a way to go on an income-based repayment plan. They are a little bit different. The last thing I'll talk about or ask about that is if you do switch from employers or in industries, you do have to recertify or do you say that you need to switch from the not the government agency one, uh, the 10-year repayment to the 2025? So both of those plans use the same like repayment program. So you actually don't ever need to switch plans. You just basically give the government your tax returns every year and then they calculate your payment. And you do that once a year. It's pretty obvious like when when they when that is cuz it's the same time every year once you get set up and they're working on a program to make that automated in the future. So it's going to eventually be something that you don't even have to necessarily do. Just right now it is. Right. And you know, one of the things that came up for a lot of people, and I think it's coming, it's happening now is that this is like the first time we're seeing the the forgiveness programs um, happen, right? Because it was started about 10 years ago. Is that true? Because a part of it was, well, we don't know what really happens. And so many people missed their certifications. And when it came time to prove that they, they completed the time in the program, they were not repaid. So what's your thoughts on that? Well, the way I would kind of describe this is like a lot of people attack loan forgiveness because they say, oh, hey, it's not real, right? It doesn't happen or it didn't happen for me. Therefore, other people aren't going to get it, right? So the way I would describe this is before 2010, people didn't have the right kind of loans. Congress, I don't know why, but Congress wrote the forgiveness programs where only loans that were issued from the government could qualify. And there were some other programs before 2010 where banks issued the loans, but the government guaranteed it. But it's not directly a government loan. And so people don't understand that because people don't waste their time like looking at like the details of loan programs, right? So just stupidly, the government wrote the loan program that way, I think because the banks lobbied so that they couldn't get their loans forgiven because of the interest money they were making, right? So all the people, of course, applied after the 10 years, not knowing that they had these bank loans instead of the government loans. And so they applied and then they didn't qualify because they had the wrong kind of loans from the get-go. And then nobody was qualifying. And then, you know, it was just this big disaster. Whereas anybody that has those government loans like already, which is anybody that started borrowing after 2010, is totally in the clear and doesn't need to worry. So kind of think about it like, you know, if you had some sort of government program for like people that owned electric cars for 10 years, well, today there's tons of electric cars, right? But how many people had the right kind of car 10 years ago to have owned that electric car for 10 years? You know, so that's kind of like the the the, the nuance, right? Is like everybody kind of now has the right kind of loans, but back 10 years ago, people didn't. And so that's what's causing all these people to apply and not get approved. And then that creates all these bad headlines about loan forgiveness not being real when it is. Have you ever wanted to learn how to trade as a side hustle so that you can reach your money goals like paying off debt, traveling the world, buying a house and helping you fuel you to financial independence? I've got a special treat for you. I've teamed up with my friend Terry Igioma of the Trade and Travel course so that she can help better educate you on what trading is, what day trading is, what swing trading is, if it's right for you to learn how to do this to get into it. Now, you can get this free training by going to journeytolaunch.com 
journeytolaunch.com slash Terry training. That's journeytolaunch.com slash Terry training. And in the training, it's a video or audio training that you can get on demand. You'll learn more about Terry Gioma, how she transitioned from her nine to five to being a full-time entrepreneur and traveling the world, how trading allowed her to buy her dream house in cash, the different types of trading, long-term investing, short-term investing, day trading, swing trading, how to trade as a form of income to pay off debt, save, and supplement your income. And then of course, who should take Terry's course? We're going to talk about this, a trade and travel course, because this is not a get rich quick scheme. This is something you have to put time and energy into learning. So we cover all of that and you can get that right now by going to journeytolaunch.com slash Terry training to get the training right now for free. Journeytolaunch.com slash Terry training. One of the things that happens a lot, especially depending on who you listen to, who you kind of are following in this space is like paying off debt, like debt free the whole way. And like this responsibility to pay off your debt. And like, there's all this like morality talk too around like paying off your student loans versus getting it forgiven. And I love that you, you're more strategic. And so am I um, when it comes to having debt and how to still invest uh, while having debt and buy a house. Because at the end of the day, the reality is many people still have student loan debt and other debt. And I don't think that should stop them from accumulating assets and wealth on the other side of like the balance sheet. So can you talk a little bit about um, just for people who still have debt, your thoughts on moving ahead with other life goals, such as investing and buying a house and other things, how they can do that with the student loan still? Absolutely. Like, and, and we, and I still want to talk about like the high income people too. Oh yes, we have to get back to that. Yes, <laughs> but we will. But yeah. but like the, the the point there is that it shouldn't impact you really at all. And so what I mean by that is, for people that are going for forgiveness, the student loans are a percent of your income. So if your student loans, instead of being debt, it's a percentage of your income. That's an income tax. So if you have a higher income tax than other people because you went and got an education, then what probably that means is that you're making a lot more money than if you'd never had gotten that education. So for example, if you go to school and become a nurse and you're making, say, $60,000, but if you hadn't gone to school, you'd be making like thirty. dollars we'll take away 10% of 60000 so 10% of 60000 6000 So after accounting for your student loan payment to the government, you're income after that would be 54000 And that would be as if you had zero student loans, right? So now you're just a person with 54000 trying to invest, trying to buy a house. You're way better off than if you had never pursued that education in the first place, right? Now, what if you you know, could have gone to school for, for free or not having to take that debt out? Well, obviously, that would be better. But unfortunately, that's not the system that we have, right? We have a debt financed educational system. That's the way it'll be for a while until it's changed, maybe eventually, right? So the big thing is don't wait around on that change, like be your own change and try to like do what you can to to get to that next level of wealth as fast as you can. What that means is, for example, with mortgages, let's talk about that. They're going to only look at what your income-based plan payment is and calculating what you qualify for for your mortgage. So that means that they're going to take that 10% of your income plan, and they're going to use that for calculating your mortgage instead of what they used to do, which is to take 1% of your balance So and make that your monthly payment. So if you had 200K of loans back in the day, your payment that the banks are going to calculate is 2000 a month, you're never going to qualify for a house. Whereas now you could be you know, somebody making 60000 a year with 200000 of student loan debt and still be able to buy that house because of them looking at your monthly payment for the income-based options. So that's the house thing. You can easily buy a house. Just don't go overboard like like anybody, you know, when you're buying a house. Like, don't go overboard with it. So for investing, you can save money in investing through retirement and actually reduce what you pay in your student loans. So remember, the student loan payment is based off of what your tax return says. So that means if you're putting money into pre-tax accounts and reducing your taxable income, that's also going to simultaneously reduce what you have to pay in your student loan payments. So in fact, student loan borrowers have even more of a reason to be investors than people that are not student loan borrowers. So just because you have the big debt doesn't mean that you can't invest. In fact, you should be investing even more so. And the third thing you mentioned was the morality of it. So what I would say to like the morality comment is, you know, I mean, the morality part of things is kind of like, well, well, you would need to, usually that's going to be asked by like a boomer, right? Like that's the usual people that like make that point, right? So I would put, I would put that question back to the boomer that asks that and say, 
what do you think the morality is of claiming social security benefits that are actuarially nine times what you paid into the system, right? In other words, what what's the morality of, of taking out Medicare benefits that are vastly larger than what you paid in taxes to cover Medicare? So in other words, like we all have government programs that we take advantage of. And, you know, especially for seniors, they're getting benefits that are way larger than what they paid for it because that's just the system that we have. So back in the 80s and 90s, we had a different system where people just paid their debt off. The, the interest rates were lower, like the amounts were lower. And great, like if you could go back into that time frame and pay that amount of money for your degree, then go do that. But the schools are all charging knowing that they, these income-based programs exist. And so that's just the system that we have. So it's not like immoral to not pay the debt. It's just tr- strategic. Yeah. And, you know, add to that millennials and all the other, you know, generations under us have more debt than the boomers did with student loans. Like the cost of education, you know, has been outrageous. And so it's not just also the boomers. I I realized too, some people, and it's not a lot, but I would point out the people who, you know, struggle to pay off their debt and like are kind of like jaded because of that and or just never had to have student loan debt. And then they're now mad that there's an opportunity for people to get a head start and, not like a head start by like them cheating, but like a head start to just put them on a level playing field for all, you know, for the money that they've spent or taken out to better their education. I mean, I hate the argument that, you know, if people, sure, there are some people who just took out loans and were not thinking about it and took advantage. But the, I, 99.9% of people I talk to and I know that have a lot of student loan debt, like they needed to take out debt to live, you know, to pass their classes so they weren't overstressed and they were still working and still couldn't afford it. So yeah, on the same page there, Travis. Well, the government's going to make back its money. Like if you make a higher income from getting more education, you're going to pay more in taxes. So yeah, you're not paying for it directly through the student loan stuff, but you're paying for it indirectly through higher taxes too. So either way, you're going to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's go back to the higher income individuals and what they can do in terms of their student loan repayment. For sure. So if you're a higher income individual, and for this, it doesn't necessarily mean making six figures. A higher income individual is just somebody that makes more money every year than what they have in student loans. So, you know, you could be making 50000 a year and have 30000 of student loan debt and be considered a, quote, high income individual, right, in terms of like how it relates to your student loans. So if you have more income than debt, unless you're like, you know, unless you're like randomly qualifying for one of these public service programs, which is still possible. So you definitely need to double check yourself if you're working government or nonprofit just to make sure. But if if you're not and you have more income than debt, then you got to pay it off. That's the bad news, right? So yes, it is still a thing. People do still have to pay off their student loans. And when do you have to do it? Generally, it's when your income is larger than what you owe. And in that case, the government charges higher interest than they really should. So anybody who has had student loans has looked at that interest rate and thought, uh, right? Like this is disgusting, right? It's because it's it's more than what you pay on a mortgage, like significantly so. And it's more than what you pay on a car loan and other things. So that interest rate is too high. And so for people that are higher income, the strategy needs to be refinancing that student loan into a lower interest rate. So that's a big part of what Student Loan Planner does besides making plans for people. So people that need to go for forgiveness are unsure if they should go for forgiveness. One part of our business is figuring out the best way to do that, to save people the most money by having the lowest payments and making sure that that's optimized. And then the other part of our business is for like the you know higher income to debt like people that need to get the lowest interest rate. And so people will go on our site and shop for the lowest interest rate and biggest cash bonuses for that. And is it and basically when you say refinance, you're refinancing out of your federal loans into a private loan. Right. And and exactly. So the way I like to talk about it is kind of like think about it kind of like government provided flood insurance. If you're down in the floodplain, you're going to want to pay for the government provided flood insurance because your house is, you know, going to flood, right? But if you're up on the mountaintop, then maybe you could get a cheaper rate for your insurance from a private company that's charging a lower amount because you're a much lower risk, right? So in other words, the interest rate for the government student loan program is set at one level for everybody. Well, some people are going to be greater risk and some people are going to be lower risk than what that interest rate implies. The people that are the lower risk than that interest rate implies are generally these people that make higher income relative to their student debt. And so I don't know why the government allows this, but they do. You can basically take those higher interest rates and exchange them for lower interest rates with a private loan. Now, private loans are really bad for a lot of people because you can't get 18 months of pause payments and interest, right? You can't get loan forgiveness, right? 
And so that's why the only people that should consider these private options are the ones where it's just a slam dunk that they're going to pay it back. There's no question about it. And the, the goal is just minimizing the interest so you get out of debt a lot sooner. Yes. And I love that we are being really clear about that. There are a lot of considerations if you're going to transfer out your your government loans to private loans. But in some cases, it makes sense depending on your income. And that happens to a lot of people. Uh, so not only do I get the people who have like a lot of debt and they're just trying to work their way under it, I get people who are earning a good amount of money, but they're, they're, they have life, they have kids, they have a mortgage, and it's hard to still keep up with their payments. And so there needs to be other options also for them, apart from, yes, budgeting and earning potentially more to help accelerate that. It is, let's be smart with what that interest rate is, who holds that loan, and can you be more strategic in terms of paying it back? Well, a lot of things that I'm seeing right now that that are smart that people are doing are doing 20-year refinancings. So that might sound terrible, 20-year refinancings. I don't want to have student loans for 20 years, but it's all about your monthly payment. Like that's really what matters is is if you look at what that monthly obligation is, that can either be not that big of a deal or it can crush somebody. So as an example, just this week, I had somebody who was paying $1,400 a month and her interest rate was high and she was also paying it back under like a seven-year time frame. but she had other stuff going on in her life that she wanted to do. She wanted to save for a new car. You know, she wanted to save for a house, like all these things. And so she could refinance that loan to a 20-year loan term and then her payment's 450 a month. And there's nothing wrong about that right now to lock in that low interest rate and that low payment because 20-year refinancings have extremely low interest rates right now, like the lowest ever. And so in a lot of cases, if you lock in a 20-year fixed rate right now, you could end up making money if inflation is larger than 2 or 3%, right? So that's like free money almost. So I would say like the biggest thing we have to fight in student loans is shame. People have all of this shame about their debt. They feel guilty. They feel like I was trying to like boost myself economically, like be better than my parents. And then what did they do? The government saddled me with all this debt. Now I can't buy a house. Now I can't start my family. Like I feel hopeless. Like can I ever invest? And so the great news is because these all these student loan programs do exist, if you know about how to use them, you don't have to have any of those obstacles affect you. You can do everything you want to do. And in fact, because student loans are just a percentage of your income, in every case, almost every single case, you're actually much better off for having pursued that education than if you had never pursued it. So a lot of people have a lot of regret, like, oh man, if I'd only gone to a cheaper school. Luckily, you don't have to have that regret because I would say 90% of people are making more income or being in a better, happier job than if they hadn't pursued that education in the first place. So it's just kind of a reframing Student loan debt doesn't have to be this shameful thing. You don't have to feel stupid. You don't have to pay it back and live on rice and beans. There's all these other options out there for people. Yes. And, you know, I just want to highlight that that again, because I am of the opinion that debt is a tool, can be used as a tool. And I'm not talking about the, like the mindless kind of just spending and accumulating and never getting out of it for no reason. But I'm talking about like the debt that you were able to leverage to get you in different places to get you an education, to buy a house, um, even if it, you know, you found out it not to be the best decision in terms of the outcome that you thought, like you learned something from it. And so I love the reframing of it's okay to move forward with your life with debt. Now, if you are like more of uh, I got to be debt free by any means necessary, then, you know, yes, then sacrifice what you need to to get to that point. But if you're like many people, especially like me, where you want a more balanced approach and you still want to live a certain life and invest and do other things, it's okay um, to still have the debt you have, especially when it comes to student loan or a mortgage, right? Like these high balanced debts for the most part and still do other things with your life. Like don't shame yourself or don't feel shamed by other people on what their track or path is because you are walking in your own unique journey. And I'm glad that we're talking about this from another perspective. Yeah, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? I mean, like the emotion of wanting to be debt free so badly. The good news is, is that's basically just saying have a good savings rate, because that money could go into your investments, or it could go into paying down your debt. And there's an efficient answer as to which one that should be for everybody. But the good news is, is if you do have that higher savings rate, things are going to work out great no matter what. So the the pay off the debt at all costs mentality, the, the reason why that does still work for people, even people that shouldn't pay off their debt is because it tricks people into have a high savings rate. So that's really kind of the secret. Yeah. Yeah. So Travis, what are some other just uh, loan 
loopholes um, for people to understand or that they can use? I know you talk about this all the time on your platform, but what are some other things that we should be looking out for or that we can do to help ourselves? Well, I want to start off with some bad news uh, and then we can do the good news. So the, the bad news is we've been all waiting on student loan cancellation to happen. And it seems like it's not going to happen now. And the reason for that is the Senate has been pushing for it, like the leaders of the Senate have been pushing for it. But then Speaker Pelosi came out recently and said, no way, it's not going to happen unless it happens through Congress. So people were kind of calling on President Biden to do an order to like cancel student debt. And now Speaker Pelosi, who's you know the leader of the House, is coming out and saying he doesn't have that power, even if we wish that he had that power. So it's got to go through Congress. And the problem with that is Congress has got all these things they got to do. <laughs> and student debt cancellation is expensive enough where they're going to choose to do other things besides that. So they're going to choose universal pre-K. They're going to choose universal child care, free community college, right? Um, home health care. Like they're going to choose all these other things instead of student debt cancellation. Maybe except for people that are like very low income or in default or something like that. So that's the bad news is don't wait around for cancellation to happen because unfortunately it seems like it's not going to happen because they're saying it has to go through Congress and the chances of that are low. The other thing to be make people aware of is most people or a lot of people in the next two to three months to year are going to get a new company managing their student loans. So the government kind of does these 10-year contracts for, for companies to collect student loan payments for them. And those contracts are mostly coming up, expiring. And one of the big companies that manages student loans called Fed Loan Servicing, who manages the public service program, they're getting fired slash firing themselves. So they're going out the door, meaning that like when you know, people have to make payments again, there's going to be a new company that's going to come forward that's going to take over for them. And so a lot of people are going to get sketched out by that or freaked out by that. Don't be. A lot of people think that, you know, these companies are like selling their loans constantly. And that's, you know, it feels that way, but that's not exactly how it works. It's just basically the government hires a new company to collect payments for it. So that's not going to affect anything. That's not going to affect your you know, loan forgiveness, it's not going to affect your interest rates or, or anything. I just want people to know that's going to happen. So you can be prepared if you get a new company that's contacting you telling you you have to make payments, just like verify to make sure it's actually, you know, you're getting official co- correspondence that, that they really are that company. Yeah, I was going to say, I know that that's going to be an opportunity for a lot of scammers to come out and try to, you know, redirect payments somewhere else. The key thing is you're, you're not going to get like, you are probably going to get a piece of mail notifying you, but you're going to get multiple pieces of of communication, right? So that's the thing is anything you get in the mail, like verify it with what you're getting in, in your email, with what you're getting to your text message, right? With what you're seeing when you log into studentaid.gov. Studentaid.gov is going to have a ton of announcements about this. So just kind of put those things together to make sure the company's legit. The, the company that I expect is probably going to take over is either Mohila or Ed Financial, so those are the two companies that we're expecting are going to be taking over for the other ones. So if you get anything from Ed Financial or Mohila, that's probably legit. Just make sure that they're the legit company. So it's not taking their name and putting it with a, a sketchy website. <laughs> well, yeah, so that's so that's the bad news. The good news is there's there's are some things happening. The Biden administration is is canceling a lot more debt than they used to for people that are disabled or went to for-profit schools. So that's really good. We're seeing uh, you know a little bit more efficiency with that. Uh, also, they're doing a, a review of the regulations around loan forgiveness right now. So we expect that'll be done in about a year. And we'll probably have, if not new income-based plans, we, we might have a new income-based plan that's even more generous. Uh, we also might have public service loan forgiveness get a lot easier to apply for. Uh, we might have a lot better rules with people that were defrauded by their college getting kind of uh, had their loans forgiven for that. So that's that's a good thing uh, that might be coming down the pipeline uh, as well. So it's not all bad news, uh, but I'll just say that, you know, p- you know, people just, you know, things to be aware of, right? You know, where, where you just want to know it's happening so you can take advantage as best as possible. Yes. And I actually want to ask you a question and update because I actually had Lynette Kalfani Cox on the podcast last year and I had her do like an emergency episode on this because I found out where she had tweeted about how your employer could pay $5,250, so $5,250 of your student loan if it was like eligible, uh, it would be, and it would be not be taxable. And when I recorded that episode with her, it was like right before the end of 2020. 
And it was because uh, the CARES Act, it was all coming like that was the last time you could do it by the end of the year. So I wanted to ask about is that still possible for people now? And what does that look like? They made it semi-permanent now. So now you can do that every single year all the way until I think 2025. The only catch is your employer has to offer a formal student loan program. If they don't offer a formal student loan program, then you then they can't just be like, here's money, like make it tax free. Like there's rules where it's got to apply to everybody or it's got to apply to people in a certain way. And so what you're going to see is bigger companies are going to set this up and smaller companies are probably going to have a harder time with it. But yeah, you can still you can still get that up to 5,250 tax free tax free that your employer can forgive if they have a existing student loan repayment policy. And I will link to that episode with Lynette because, and also some resources there because she even told me about an HR email template. So even if your HR company does not have this in place, you can petition and, you know, ask them depending on your company also, if they want to be competitive in the marketplace, like, Hey, here's something that, you know, we want you to implement. So I think that's just important for us to know about. Absolutely. Okay, Travis, just a couple more things before we wrap up. Anything else we should know? I know, again, it's hard to predict the future, but what would, what's like something um, you would say, like advice going in for people now, unsure about what's going to happen, kind of either way, if it extends, if the, the pause extends itself, or if it doesn't, what we should be doing? Either way, your student loans are still going to be there, right? <laughs> so, I mean, that's the bad news is it's not getting completely wiped away which means that it doesn't really matter that much if it's September 30th or if it's January 31st or if it's March 31st. Those are the three dates that I think it will eventually be. By the time this comes out, you can just Google which one of those that is and you'll see it. Okay, so that means your payments are coming due. You're going to want to recertify your income if it's fallen. So if your you know income was lower in 2020 than it was in 2019. It just kind of depends on what information your loan servicer is going to ask for. So they're going to ask for information from you. Just give them what they ask for. And if your income is lower, then you can recalculate that payment to get an even lower payment. So one thing I say is like, people have serious mental health like breakdowns from debt. It makes people feel like, like we said, shame, regret, feeling trapped. But nobody, at least to my knowledge, has had a severe mental health breakdown over taxes, right? Well, unless they had a big tax bill and had to pay it. That's true, but but we could say I was I'll, I'll I'll rephrase it and say a tax bill that they like had planned for. Like if you plan for the tax bill, you've got the money socked away. It's not going to be something that's going to super stress you out. I mean, necessarily, like as much as debt. And so I say that because the student debt, if you you have a lot of it, it's like an income tax, right? And an income tax, what do you do? You think about it once a year. It's not fun when you have to think about it, but you think about it once a year and you're done until next year, right? Same thing is true for income-based repayment. You recertify your loans. It's good for a year, right? You you have it paid monthly so it doesn't sneak up on you like a, say you're an entrepreneur like, you know, Jamila, you and I are, right? Like, yeah, the taxes maybe are really stressful because you got to make these big payments instead of having it held from your paycheck. But, you know, luckily the student loans are all like deducted from you kind of like a paycheck is. So it's, it's, there's no surprises, uh, so I would say that is just to get your head in the right spot where it's like, okay, if my payment's too big, I can get a lower payment. And if it's you know something I need to pay off, once that interest starts again, I could re- refinance it to a lower interest rate with record low interest rates and get a super low you know interest cost to my loans. So that's what I would say is when that interest pause does end and it will end, just know that you have all these options to get a, a very low payment. It's not as good as zero, but it can be almost as good as that because it's if you're low income, it could be as low as zero. If you're high income, you have all these forgiveness and refinancing options that get, can get that cost down to as low as possible. Yes. Ultimately, you have options. You have options. Okay, Travis, please let everyone know where they can find you. you. I mean, you talk about this all the time on your platform and with your company, and you also have a podcast. So let's talk about that where they can catch up with you. Yeah, so the podcast is the best source of free information, I think. It's the Student Loan Planner podcast. So you can download that anywhere, you know, that podcast you found this one at. So you can just type in Student Loan Planner and you'll find us. And that you can find like episodes about certain niche things like PSLF or certain kinds of loan forgiveness or like, you know, episodes by occupation. So that's a great source of free info. The studentloanplanner.com website is also a, a source of great info with the blog. We've got a bunch of calculator tools that you can use and calculate what your payment's going to be when the payments are due again. We have a calculator for that. And 
on the site too. We've got the refinancing resources. But for your audience, the the thing that I wanted to mention is we have the student loan planning option. Obviously, if you're called student loan planner, that's because we make student loan plans, right? So if you have more debt than you what you earn every year, I think that you need a student loan plan. If your student debt is smaller than your income, you might be able to get away with just kind of figuring it out, getting a lower interest rate. But certainly, if you have more debt than what you earn every year, I would highly suggest getting a student loan plan to make sure you're not missing something. Because when you miss something, it's usually a five-figure mistake is what we find. So for your audience, we have a promo where they get a year of support. You know, basically after the call, they have a year of follow-up questions that they can ask us questions about their plan and making sure that they understand everything the right way versus if you book through the site, it's only half of the year. And just wanted to clarify, what is the call that you do with people? So we go through all of their loans that they have. We identify all the loans that they have by a process that we use to get all that information into one centralized place. We make a summary of all the loans so that we're, we're, they can see all the different kinds of, of uh, information about their loans, like how much time they have for forgiveness, what kind of loan structure they have, et cetera. And then we make a plan where we go through all of the different options and analyze the cost of all those. And then we identify the cheapest version of that. And we tell them how they should be filing their taxes, joint or separate. We tell them that they should be doing refinancing. We tell them about you know how to plan for their student loans in relation to other life goals that they want to accomplish. And we do all of that in an hour. So we do that in an hour call. And then that's a one-time flat fee of like $400 to $600. And then they get that follow-up that's included afterwards too. And what we find is 90% of people don't ever need another call after that because once you get the plan, it's straightforward. You just have to get make sure you get the right one. But if people do have ongoing needs, we have a follow-up consult that's cheaper that people can do if they want, but most people don't. And then you have that, you said, if you sign up, you can have that year of support. If they say, what is it? What's the code that they should use if they decide to go forward? Yeah, all you need to do is when you're booking, just say that you were referred by Journey to Launch. So just put that into, you know, put the name of the Jamila's podcast, right? Just put that, you can even put your name if you want, but just say journey to launch in like, where did you hear about us? And then our team will know automatically to make sure that you qualify for that better offer. Awesome. And just do your socials too, because you tweet a lot of great stuff on Twitter about like the latest news with all the student loan stuff in the government. So what's that? I'm student loan Trav on Twitter. Uh, I'm student loan Trav because I think there's a 12 character maximum. So uh, I, I, did, I didn't know that before picking your, uh, you know, my username. So just a pro tip, if you pick a brand name for your company, like maybe look and see how long it is on Twitter. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, so that's the, that's the main spot. We're also on Instagram, Student Loan Planner on Instagram. So if you find us there, those are the two spots we're most active at. Awesome. Thanks so much, Travis, for sharing this information with us. Absolutely. I hope people figure it out, get a plan, whether it's the free path or getting the help. You deserve a plan and you deserve clarity so student loans don't have to affect your life. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Travis. And here's the thing that I really enjoyed. I mean, we got into the technical stuff. I made sure to ask him about how we can pay those loans back. But I really also wanted to focus on why you shouldn't let your student loans prevent you from living your life and investing and building wealth. Because I know that many of you are saddled with student loan debt. So I hope that this episode gives you not just information, but that motivation to keep going on your financial freedom journey. If you enjoyed the episode, as always, take a screenshot. I love when you are sharing that you're listening to the episode. Take a screenshot, share it on your social media, um, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Journey to Launch. And tag me, tag me so I know that you are listening share it on your main feed and tell me a takeaway. Tell me one thing that you learned that you didn't know before or something that you are going to do going forward as a result of listening to this conversation. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me in the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, 
your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here, so show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast, with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. <laughs> <laughs>